My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us this morning. Um, as a reminder, uh, our handout and all of our information is at OurSundaySchool.com, so if you need a handout, uh, the whole handout is there, so grab one there. Uh, and good morning to those of you watching online with us. Glad you could join us this morning. So we're in Philippians chapter 1, uh, getting dangerously close to finishing Philippians chapter 1. <laughs> Any month now, that's right. Any month now. So this is week 18. Uh, we're in verse 27, so I hope to finish verse 27 and maybe get into 28 today. And then uh, probably chapter 2 by the end of the year. So we'll see. So let's start by reading through uh, all of Philippians chapter 1. I'll read this out loud. Feel free to read along. Feel free to uh, just sit and listen. Either way is great. Uh, but remember, there are far more commands in the Bible about hearing God's word than reading God's word. So I'll let you pick which one you want to do. So Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me in trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, 
as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you were engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> so if you got your handout, we're on page 92 today. On page 92. Starting in verse 27 here. And, and I will tell you that uh, there, is some, there is some trickiness with how to translate these words. Uh, not in what they mean, but what to add to make them really clear for an English reader. Uh, the CSB, and in fact, most translations do a really nice job of getting to exactly what Paul is getting at here. Uh, it, we, we just have to add a lot of words to give it some additional context, because several of these Greek words today mean three, four, five, six English words. So there's a lot of additional stuff. So just to make sure we're focused on exactly where we're at. So today we're looking at verses 27 through 28a, so just one thing, as citizens of heaven. Uh, Live your life worthy. So just, just as a, a bit of a, a preview, from the word just to the word worthy is three Greek words. So there's, a, there's like a lot of stuff expanded here to kind of help us understand what's going on. Uh, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ, and whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you're standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. So there's, there's a lot of... There's a lot of expectation that Paul has in these verses, and those expectations are centered and rooted in some very singular things. So I'm going to, I hope to land the proverbial plane with some singular versus plural concepts today. So as you look through today's text, there's several things that are very plural, and there are several things that are very singular, and I'm going to try to tie these two together just a little bit. So thank you, Dave. Appreciate that. I'm going to look right here for Dave every time because that's where Dave normally sits. So I'll just re maybe I should just reorient the pulpit and that'd be easier. All right, so verse 27. So uh, the Greek word there is manon. Uh, it's, it just means just or merely. Uh, later in Philippians, it's translated as only. A little after that, it's translated as just. It really just means just. It's as good a joke as I've got today. So if you don't laugh at that one, there's not much else coming. So. Uh, it, the one thing is not in the original, but it, it helps us understand that he's just focusing on one thing because the just here only points to one thing. So it's very helpful for us. Uh, and then we get to this phrase, as citizens of heaven live. And it, it's, it's a, this is a, an interesting word because we've got a plural imperative here. So plural, so Paul's writing to the group. Uh, the imperative is a command. And the word just literally means to behave as a citizen. Uh, and the more I have thought about this word this week, the more I consider this just an exceedingly low bar. Right? This is not go live a holy, flawless life. This is not go sell your possessions and give them to the poor. It just like behave as a citizen. Like behave. So Augie was in the room just a minute ago, and Augie is what, two? 
two and a half, right? The halves matter at that point. Uh, I don't want to talk about halves because they don't matter anymore, right? Uh, and, and I would imagine a significant chunk of what Augie is asked to do or sometimes told to do is just behave, right? I mean, this is what we tell little children, like just behave. Sometimes we need to be told, just behave, right? So he's just telling them, behave as a citizen. Um, Paul uses this word, uh, actually Dr. Luke uses this word, quoting Paul. So flip over to Acts chapter 23 real quick. I want to show you the one other time in the New Testament. Um, This is an unusual text in Philippians because there are some words here that are used very rarely elsewhere in the New Testament. Most of Philippians is, uh, now this is not like 1st, 2nd, 3rd John level Greek where you you would start a fifth grader on here's how to learn Greek and you know that's where you go but the vocabulary in Philippians is not overly complicated but here it's a little wonky so uh, but Acts 23 uh, verse 1 uh, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said brothers I have lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day and that word for lived my life is I have behaved as a citizen But the next little phrase matters, before God. Now, Paul does this a ton in his writings, where he's actually talking about two different things at the same time. Because Paul had, in fact, actually behaved as a citizen of Rome, right? We know this because he was still alive at this point. Um, Because they did not, as we have evidence in just a few pages earlier, they did not tolerate a lot of uh, misbehavior. Uh, But this concept of behaving as a citizen Uh, lived my life before God, Paul is also acknowledging his heavenly citizenship. And this is something that's critically important to Paul because we sometimes really get this mixed up. We sometimes think that our earthly, you got to watch me here, we sometimes think that our earthly citizenship is here and our heavenly citizenship is here. And for Paul, it was radically the opposite. It was my heavenly citizenship is what I am basically exclusively focused on and the only time the only time he brought up his earthly citizenship in Rome was to do what advance the gospel right is to advance the gospel so this was a his earthly citizenship was a tool to accomplish what God had for him in the larger citizenship of heaven and I I love what he does right here because timeline wise what happened first and I don't, think I've, I don't think I've told you guys this yet, but timeline first, what, what happened first, Acts 23 or Philippians 1? I'll give you a hint. It's ordered correctly in the Bible. <laughs> Acts 23, there you go. Yeah, several years before, because this, this, we think Paul was writing uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. That's how I remember the order. Uh, we think he was writing these in the last couple of years of his life. Uh, and Acts was occurring several years before that. So as Paul is apt to do over and over and over again, he models before he mandates, right? So he, is, he has shown what this looks like before he tells the Philippians, you go and do this, which I, I just, I love how he does this. And I, I, have, I so want to ask him, did you know that you were going to be commanded? Like, would, because sometimes as a teacher, you can do something. I, I will think of something a week or two in advance of like, oh, that'd be nice to kind of set this up so I can hit it here and this would be good. This is years in advance, which is really, really a beautifully well-lived life. 
So, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, behave as a citizen. So, application and personalization is down at the bottom of page 92. Uh, application, uh, Christians are citizens. Christians are citizens. So personalization there, uh, know where our citizenship lies, right? And especially in a hyper-politicized world that we find ourselves in, this is a good reminder, like, we're citizens of heaven. This is good, right? And the reason the, the, I'll tell you this, the reason the CSB puts of heaven there, because as citizens, uh, it, it, so let me just translate it very woodenly here, merely behave as a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. So this is obviously not talking about citizenship of Rome. So they're adding in the phrase of heaven to help us as English readers see not Rome. Right? If I were translating this, I would almost want to have, like, in parentheses, after the word, uh, behave as citizens, not Rome, <laughs> just to make it super clear. But uh, different translations do it different ways, and I think this is a really slick way to do it. So, so application, uh, Christians are citizens to so know where our citizenship lies. Uh, application number two here, Christians behave appropriately as citizens. So it's not just, I am a citizen, but I have an obligation to behave appropriately as a citizen. So what do we do with that? What do you think we ought to do with that? Behave appropriately as citizens of the gospel of Christ. Yes. That would be helpful, wouldn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting, so thank you for bringing that up. Um, what defines us as a citizen of the United States? Be very careful how you answer, because your answer, your answer has to apply to those who have gained citizenship after birth. So my mom was born in Canada, right? She was born in Quebec. And I remember when I was 11 or 12, uh, maybe when I was eight, I'm not really sure how old I was. I remember going to Nashville. I think you guys have heard me tell this story before. And we went to Nashville, the state capitol, and there was this courtroom, and I had never seen that many shades of people before. Like, it was so cool. I, the whole time I was like, can we line them up and like put them in like a gradient? Or like, this would be that. I mean, it was just really, really neat. But the judge made them do something before he declared them to be citizens. Take an oath to what? The Constitution. That's exactly right. The con allegiance to the Constitution is what determines citizenship for our country. Right? Are we behaving as citizens of heaven? Are we doing what our Lord has commanded? I was not planning on going there, brother. Thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate that. That was nice. All right, so 
Page 92, so just one thing as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy. This word means appropriately. So this also implies there's an appropriate way to live and an inappropriate way to live. But live your life worthy of the gospel. So the word for citizens, is that singular or plural for citizens? Plural. It's got an S on the end. There we go. Good. Worthy of the gospel. Is the gospel singular or plural? Singular. It is very singular. It is exclusively singular. I, I don't have enough adjectives to describe how there is one and only one. Right? Um, I'm a math guy. Uh, in higher level mathematics proofs, there's concepts where you solve for a single solution. And there are some, there are some scenarios where we want to really underscore that there is like only one answer to this problem. And mathematicians will use the phrase, there's one and only one. And that's the like, oh, okay. So you really just mean one. You don't mean like one today and then another one you find tomorrow, like one and only one. There's one and only one gospel. And then you turn the page to page 93. What about Christ? Are there a bunch of Christs? No, singular, very singular. Have many people come claiming to be Christ? Yes, but there is only one. Right, there can only be one. So just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, this ena, this is this uh, conjunctive part of, that means in order that, to so this very connected concept between uh, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ, in order that, and then he goes into this kind of extended phrase, whether I come and see you or am absent. So what's the, what's the scenario again? Whether I come and see you, that's scenario what? So what's Paul got coming up? Innocent, right? He's got the trial coming up. So if, if Paul, in Paul's mind, if I am declared innocent, I get to come and see you. Yay, this is good for you. Uh, if I'm declared guilty, I get to die, and that's good for me because Christ to live and to die, Right? So this longer phrase here on page 93, then whether I come and see you, right? So I'm declared innocent on page 94 now, or am absent, you don't see me again because I've been declared guilty, which I really think is a neat way to say death is the only thing that's going to keep me from coming to see you again. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty bold talk. Like, that's pretty strong. Uh, you see... Paul's passion, his love for these people coming through again and again. So he says, whether I I get to come and see you uh, or am absent, I will hear about you. Anybody ever been told that by their parents? I'm going to know what you did. Because there's a very real sense in which Paul is uh, not like God the Father, but a, a type of father for this group of believers, right? When we looked and saw them, the church was developed and uh, was planted in Acts 16 with Lydia and the demon-possessed, the formerly, yeah, she was formerly demon-possessed. She wasn't demon-possessed at the time she became a member of the church. Uh, and then the Philippian jailer and his family. So like, woohoo, what a crew to start a church. Uh, Paul's writing back to them and those that they have shared the gospel with. I will hear about you. So application here at the bottom of page 94, Christian behavior is heard. Christian behavior is heard. And Paul had something he very specifically wanted to hear about the Philippians. 
Uh, and he actually writes something like this in Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Again, we don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews, but Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and, to, and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls, as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So again, these little kind of sort of backhanded threats, but at the same time, encouragement to, like, I want your pastors, your leaders, your elders to be able to give an account of your life with joy and say it was joy to have pastored and led this person. If, I will be honest with you. If you want a verse to help guide and inform your interactions with your Christian leadership, that's a great verse to be in that mindset of before engaging. Like, is this interaction going to help my pastor report out on my life with joy or not? So the personalization for the application of Christian behavior is heard. The personalization I've got in my notes is live Hebrews 13, 17. Let's just live it. So live Hebrews 13, 17. All right, so just one thing. Have you all noticed that it's, like, even when he says just one thing, like, it's never, like, it's never going to be one thing. When he says, finally, nope, not finally. Like he's just, he's revving the engine. We're about to shift into another gear. Maybe finally for that paragraph, but not finally for that letter. So just one thing as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ and whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you. And then we get to this beautiful phrase, that you are standing firm. All right, so this standing firm is a plural present active indicative, so plural again to the group. It just literally means to be stationary, to persevere. Um, this, this word doesn't necessarily have a strong military connotation, but could you see how this is a guard your post? type, like just like stand still. Is he telling them to advance in, in Philippi? Not here. Just stand still. Was Philippi like yay to the gospel or oh, not so much? Like double not so much, right? Populated with ex-Roman soldiers. This was little Rome. Um, you know, this would not have been a welcoming place for the gospel. As we saw from Paul and Silas and the crew there, that when they first showed up, what was their welcome to Philippi? Jail, right? <laughs> so, I will hear about you that you are standing firm. Uh, Paul uses this word one more time in Philippians, in Philippians 4.1. Uh, I'm going to read the... Philippians 4.1 is a really wonky verse because this is one of those areas where most translations will lean toward... Philippians 4.1 should have really been Philippians 3.22. And Philippians 4.2 should have been Philippians 4.1. Like the chapter division is off here. In most of your Bibles, if you're in paragraph form, it'll throw it up into the prior paragraph. So I'm going to read that prior paragraph because it gives a sense of the 4.1. 
So not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think about anything differently, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends." Did you see Paul connected the citizenship concept again here in this with standing firm? Because there is an element to our citizenship of just standing firm, of just being light in a place that is very dark. But as Paul does many, many times, it's not just a matter of doing the thing. It's a matter of how we do the thing. So he goes on. I'm back on page 95 on our handout now. So I'll hear that you're standing firm in one spirit. So the word one is singular. The word spirit is singular. This is not a you stand firm in whatever you want to stand firm in. You stand firm in whatever the cool hip thing of it. No, 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 no. Like I'm going to tell you what to stand firm in. In one spirit. In one, and then the CSB translates it accord, as many other translations do as well. Um, but let's do our, our personalizations and applications real quick before we go to page 96. So application in the bottom of page 95, Christians stand firm. Pretty straightforward, right? Christians stand firm. So what do we do with that? Well, we, personalization 1A, stand firm in one spirit. Do we get to pick the spirit? Like today, it's Dave's spirit. Is that a good idea, Dave? Like, it might be for like 10 seconds, 20 seconds, but, but yeah, until next week. Yeah. And then personalization 1B, stand firm in one. And I'm going to have the word, I'll have the word soul in mine. And I'm going to tell you why I have the word soul in mine. Because when you turn to page 96 and you see the definition for the word accord, uh, it's not a small vehicle. Uh, it means soul or inner being or life. This is the word suke. It's like most commonly just defined as soul. Um, now, can it mean life? Absolutely it can mean life. In Philippians 2.30, it obviously means life. It doesn't mean soul. This is a you know, this is one of those words with a, a fairly large semantic range. It can also mean breath, right? Uh, or the heart's desire, or the drive, or the passion of one's soul. It goes 103 times in the New Testament. Uh, and the footnote there, if you've got a CSB, the little F footnote, it literally means soul. 
So, okay, cool. But whether it means life or whether it means soul or whether it means accord, do you see that the unanimity associated with it? Like, that's what Paul is focusing on, the one uh, spirit, one accord. This is a unanimous, cohesive group that is doing this thing together. And then on page 96, we get the word contending together. So again, another plural. And this is a present active participle, so this is a habit. It's a lifestyle. This is what they do together habitually. This is their normal practice. And this means to wrestle in company with. Now, y'all know that there's a couple sports that I like. One of them is mixed martial arts. Um, I can't imagine how complicated mixed martial arts would be if it was a group activity. This seems like a terrible, terrible idea. Um, Nope, nope, nope. But this type of contending together is a group activity. This is wrestling in company with, seeking jointly. This is, we have a unified singular objective that we are collectively pursuing. And if that requires some wrestling and some contention to pursue and to achieve that, great. That's fine. We are happy to overcome that obstacle. Uh, This word is actually used in Philippians 4 verse 3. Uh, In in 4.2 he says, I urge Yodia and I urge uh, Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side. Now, like management 101 here, okay? When you have bad news to deliver, sometimes it is nice to compliment somebody right before you need to tell them, get along with your coworker, okay? Because these ladies are co-laborers in the gospel. They are contending together like Paul used it like it's not a lie to say they have contended for the gospel they did this this is good so we can actually do this and still have gaps in our obedience it's not like the whole list but it's on the list so that's good all right so back on page 96 contending together for the faith so are there a bunch of faiths no faith singular faith is absolutely singular and it's faith of the gospel, and the gospel is singular again there. So a couple uh, applications, or application and personalization at the bottom of page 96. Uh, so application number one, Christians contend together for the faith of the gospel. So there is an objective to our contention. It is not in any way, any shape, any form, contention for me to consume the thing that I am contending for. This is not contention for my benefit, contention for my glory, contention for my fame, contention for my name. This is contention for his glory, his name, his fame. So we contend on behalf of another for faith of the gospel. So what do we do with that? We contend together for the faith of the gospel. If these sound pretty basic today, it's because the text is stunningly simple. Every once in a while you get a real easy text, so it's nice. Next week. Probably not so much. <laughs> so contending for the faith of the gospel, page 97. So we get to verse 28. And the kind of the last bit of this sentence here, not being frightened in any way by your opponent. So this being frightened is a verb. Uh, it's the only time it shows up in the uh, New Testament. Uh, phobos is the most common word for fear in the New Testament in Greek, but this is pteuro. Um, like cover up the mic before I say it again because I spit everywhere when I say it. Uh, Turo 
And uh, it, so it just means to frighten. And it's a present passive participle, so the passive means something that is acting upon the subject. So, so don't let anything outside of you put fear onto you. And this is in the space of the advancement of the gospel, obviously. So uh, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way. This is not even one, where this is a man, a woman, a thing. It's the most generic term you've got for anything. Uh, not being frightened in anything by your opponents. So application here is Christians are not frightened of opponents. Christians are not frightened of opponents. How can the dark scare the light? We do. We do. So what do we do with that? Do not fear opposition to the gospel. Do not fear opposition to the gospel. But I don't want to leave off the opponents part, because page 98, your, plural, opponents, plural. Now, uh, this word opponents is a verb in Greek. And if you translated it as a verb in English, the sentence structure just deteriorates very, very quickly. It becomes super awkward, and it really doesn't make a lot of sense. So most English translations uh, will push this into a noun, which the CSB has done here, and I think it makes it really helpful for us to understand what's going on. Uh, so this word means to, uh, to lie opposite or be adverse to or be repugnant to. Repugnant's not a word you hear every day, but this means intense disgust. Uh, repugnant is that bite of that thing you had at Thanksgiving that wasn't the thing you were getting. Right? You're like, oh no, I have... I, is there a napkin around? Like, like, that's the idea of repugnancy. So of those who view you when they taste your life as I want to spit that out. So this is not just like, oh, there was somebody who wasn't welcoming. No, 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 no. Somebody who wants to spit you out. Somebody who's actively antagonistic and does not like anything and everything to do with the gospel. You're like, so what do we do with this? Well, application is Christians have opponents. Like, let's just be really clear about that. Christians have opponents. But we, we can really screw up in a hurry with this. Personalization 1A here is don't take opposition personally. It is, in fact, as uh, Rick Warren did say, not about us, right? This is not about us. Um, so application 1B, understand it is not about us. It is about the gospel. It is about the gospel. And the gospel is valuable enough so that when others find me and you and us, as we are collectively contending together for the gospel, repugnant, that we continue to contend together for the gospel. It is that significant. It is that important. So application, Christians have opponents. Personalization 1A, don't take opposition personally. And 1B, understand it's not about us. It is about the gospel. So I'll land the plane uh, that was a miracle. Let's land the plane, Dave, on this next slide. Uh, and we'll talk, look, take a look quickly at uh, singular and plural. So if we look at all the singular stuff, we'll do one more. Uh, we've got a singular gospel, a singular Christ, a singular spirit, a singular soul or life, a singular faith, and then he wraps it up with another singular gospel at the end. This is the same gospel. You see how it bookends here. It's a nice little section. And all the plural 
See how that's magic? I just move my hand and it happens. I have nothing in my hand. It's amazing. So we plural, we group, behave appropriately, we stand firm, we contend together, and not be frightened. Like this is what we do, this is how we engage. Because this is so important, we do these things. And this was the sentence that I came up with. This is my best summary of the day. The significance of the singular drives the unity of the plural. Like, this is so important that we do all of this together. The gospel is worth behaving appropriately. It's worth standing firm. It is worth contending together. It is worth not being frightened. Christ is worth behaving appropriately. He's worth standing firm. He is worth contending together. He is worth not being frightened. The one spirit, the one soul, the one life is worth behaving appropriately. It's worth standing firm. It's worth contending together. It's worth not being frightened. Faith in the gospel is worth behaving appropriately. It's worth standing firm. It's worth contending together. It's worth not being frightened. Like, this drives this. It's worth it. So when you wake up and you go, I don't know that it, it's worth it. Every single moment, it's worth it. And you're not alone. That's the beautiful thing about Christianity. The entire Trinity is actively working at all times. The body of Christ is actively working. Like, we are not alone in this endeavor. So, let's behave like it. I think we can. All right, so that's today's lesson. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, you should have a weekly update at your table. Uh, if you would, make sure your names are at the bottom of the backside. Um, that's how we take attendance. I do want to draw your attention to one quick uh, announcement on the upcoming events. So today was Philippians 127. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at Philippians 128b and probably finish up uh, chapter 1. The following week, preparing for Philippians 2. What's December 17th? A Sunday school party. What? Yes. So we have lost our ever-loving minds, and we're going to have you all over to our house. Um, so we're excited about this. Uh, details coming, but hold that late afternoon, evening. If you're in town, that's great. If you're out of town, that's fine. Uh, but uh, details are coming on that. All right, so after you have prayed as a table, uh, if you have any prayer requests, make sure you jot those down. Uh, lean in, engage, pray for somebody uh, who's not with you. We are free to go and to worship the one who is worth it. So let's do so well today. Thanks, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.